Thanks so much for taking time out of your day to join us here on The Clark Howard Show, where it's about that wallet of yours. I want you to have ideas for me that'll help you keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website, and you can follow me at Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Coming up later, I want to talk to you about a charity strategy, charitable giving strategy, which if you are charitably minded is very much to your benefit to do before this year is out, especially in light of the changes coming to the tax code for next year. You want to make charitable contributions this year. I'm going to tell you about the double deal you might be able to take advantage of that is double tax-friendly on charitable donations. Very briefly, I mentioned last week about changes coming to competition for high-speed data in the United States. And specifically, AT&T and Verizon that are both in some sectors of the country Monopoly phone companies on the traditional phone system also are two of the big, obviously, mobile phone providers in the country. And they both are testing right now a technology to offer ultra-high-speed internet to your home, regardless of where you live in the United States, not through their traditional Monopoly phone company operations, but in parts of the country where they don't offer monopoly phone service to do it over wireless. It is, there's kind of like this theoretical speed that we're headed towards in the United States, which is one gig speed. And so now, because of new uh, technology that is being perfected pretty much while I'm speaking, wireless systems are going to be able to offer ultra-high-speed service to the home or to business. And instead of having to come down your street on power poles, telephone poles, whatever, and then wire into your house, they're going to be able to transmit directly to your home. Verizon has announced that they are going to do so in a handful of cities in 2018 as they worked the bugs out of it with an eventual, this is not vaporware, with an eventual rollout all over the country except where they offer monopoly phone service. And that is almost certainly going to be baked into the next 18 months that they will be doing so. AT&T don't know how quick they're going to move. T-Mobile has already launched in most of the country their new network, which is everything's initials and all that, which is called LTE-A, and that network is lightning fast. Here's the problem. A lot of cell phone carriers, cell phone manufacturers did not put in their newest phones the radio that receives the ultra-fast signals for T-Mobile customers. The new signals are so fast that when you put in a request for information on an app or on a mobile browser, 
the information loads so fast it's quicker than your eyes can register that the information is already loaded. Now, in the case of the T-Mobile, the T-Mobile system is designed to be used as you go on your cell phone, wherever you are in most of the country where they've already brought this live. The phones that work on it are a variety of Samsung phones, Motorola phones, and LG phones. Apple chose not to participate at this time. But this is a clear vision of where we're headed and especially people who live alone or two people in a household will in pretty short order not need internet service anymore from a monopoly cable company or monopoly phone company and that is big news so it is a totally different viewpoint of the future where you could download a movie in just seconds, that will be something that will be available in your own home wirelessly or on your phone wirelessly in the T-Mobile example. David, and again, this is not vaporware. This is really happening. David's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, David. Hey, how are you, Clark? Great. Thank you, David. You got a question about reducing debt in your life. Talk to me. Yes. Hey, uh, well, thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. Um, well, yeah, uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago on your podcast, I was listening, and uh, you said that it was a really good time to refinance to a 15-year loan uh, from a 30-year mortgage. Um, and I would like to do that. I'm, I don't like seeing my loan balance go down by only a few hundred dollars every month. Uh, but I would like to turn my current home into a rental property after I move out in a few years. So, well, then there's and, there's uh, an accelerated advantage if the prevailing rents in the area where you are would be able to support what a monthly payment would be on a 15-year loan. It would be very advantageous to you to look at doing that. And that's, I, that's where my question comes in, because uh, the rent that I would expect to get is about the same as my my all-in uh, mortgage payment on a 15-year. So I'm, I'm wondering, I, I don't want to keep, I feel like I'm wasting money because I can afford the 15-year payment, but I, uh, I don't want to make my house into a bad investment property later on. Yeah, that would not be, so you said you would be pretty much at break-even with prevailing rent versus what the mortgage would be. Did I follow that right? Yes, that's correct. I think that's okay. Oh, okay. I, I think that's okay. Um, what kind of rates are you seeing on refis? Uh, I'm seeing uh, somewhere around 3.125. Yeah, that's about right. So the spread right now between 15 and 30s it mm-hmm. has narrowed just a touch, and it's okay. three-quarters of a point to seven-eighths of a point lower on the 15-year, which is still significantly lower than historical. It used to be that 15-year loans carried about a half point lower interest rate than 30s, but now that spread is larger, and that makes it more advantageous if the payments don't make you wheeze to do that. You know, and the advantage of locking in at, you said Uh, 3.125, is that what you said? 
Yes, sir. 3.125 is such cheap money that in terms of the interest carry, there's very little. The Mm -hmm. loan will be extinguished, obviously, in 15 years, but you'll see substantial reduction in the balance uh, month by month versus with a 30-year. And so I would only recommend against this if your existing 30-year loan is already at a very low rate. Well, right now it's at 4.25, so I'm looking The direct perfect advantage to you mm-hmm. refining into that new 15-year loan. Great. I'm all for this. All right. Thank and you, you so know what? Work. You will love it as you have that rental property paying down principal so quickly mm-hmm. and being close to break even. If you're just close to break even by going from that 30 to a 15, since you can afford it, It'll be so much to your advantage, and that is really going to smile on you. That rental property is going to smile on your wallet for years to come, and when you finish paying off the mortgage, your tenant's paying it off for you. From that point forward, the profitability of that rental property per month skyrockets. Ben is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ben. Hi. How are you, Clark? Great. Thank you, Ben. You have a question for me about... Extended auto warranties. Yep. Well, I I just bought a new plug-in gasoline hybrid car. You did? Which one did you get? Yeah. I got uh, the Toyota Prius Prime. Really? That is a, you know, the hybrid market has been soft, but the Prius Prime has been a highly sought-after vehicle. Yep. It's been really, it was actually really difficult to find. Uh, The local dealer had one, and it was the the higher-end model, so I wanted the mid-range to save about $4,000. And uh, so they traded with a dealer all the way in Maryland about uh, probably four hours north of where I am to get this. So it's, it's extremely rare. But And how many um, miles are you getting electric only? Um, well, I'm not exactly sure. I've only had it for two days now. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, way too early. I wanted to know all the scoop. <laughs> Well, but the the amazing thing, I've driven it to work twice, uh, once through the middle of the town, uh, and I was almost able to make it the 21 miles to work. Uh, but then when I drove on the highway, I was able to make it with a mile uh, to spare because it says that it'll it'll give you about 20 to 25 miles on an electric charge. So and, the uh, for people who are not aren't aren't aware about how much this kind of vehicle is going to be part of the immediate future. With a plug-in hybrid, typically daily commuting, you commute electric only. Uh, And then for road trips, it becomes a conventional hybrid. So yours is probably rated about 55 miles per gallon is just a regular hybrid. And then equivalent, what, 130 miles per gallon when it's... Yeah, 133. 133 when it's electric only. And so the idea of having to go fill up at a gas station and all that that's going to become really not much part of your life anymore. I certainly hope not. The federal government says that it should fill up about 14 times this next year. So so a little more than one tank of gas a month. Hopefully so. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, you know, people's experiences with various cars like the Chevy Volt, V-O-L-T, it's been that way where they uh, buy gas, in the case of the Volt, typically six tanks of gas a year. That's amazing. So 
you know, when you're looking at buying a, a Prius, even with the plug-in hybrid technology, I can't imagine that you even need to even remotely think about buying any kind of extended service contract or extended warranty. Okay. Yeah, you know, you look at the reliability yeah. record on the Prius in all its versions and all its forms over the years, there are very few vehicles that have proven to be as reliable as that one has been. But if you ended up with one that turns out to be a lemon, you'll be able to buy a Toyota extended warranty at any point before the manufacturer's warranty expires. Awesome. So you'll be able to have some experience with it and know that it's ultra-reliable or you got unlucky and got one that's troublesome. Well, that's, that's great to hear. I'm, I'm super excited about it. it. It's it's on the way to being one of those self-driving cars like uh, you have, and I'm really excited about all the features that it offers that that are really almost uh, you know cutting edge features that I think will be standard in the not too distant future. Yeah, you know, if someone hasn't bought a vehicle in the last three years, the technology coming into vehicles now, as you're describing with the Prius Prime are so different than what we've historically had that it is absolutely awe-inspiring how brilliant people are in the technology field and the automotive field at the pace of change accelerating that makes cars better and makes the features that they provide cheaper and ultimately will make them much safer. Jason joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jason. How you doing? Hey, Clark. How's it going? Great, thank you. Jason, you want to talk about saving money? Uh, yeah, always a good topic. <laughs> what are you thinking? Well, I wanted to let you know um, that last year around this time, I printed out six copies of the $5,000 challenge, and four of the six people that I gave them to, including myself, uh, did them in completion. So, no way, no way. And yeah. you found that on Pinterest, or where did you find it? you find it on Clark.com, or where'd you go? Yeah, I got it off your website. Yep. So the $5,000 challenge has been a a talking point over the last few years because it's a way of jump-starting people getting in the habit of saving money. And there are any of a number of different formulas that people can use based on their own lifestyle what works to get you to 5,000? What got you to 5,000? What technique did you use? Well, the one off your website, it gives you a specific dollar amount to save every week. And after the 52 weeks, the total is 5,000. It starts in smaller increments and goes up, uh, you know, every week. And at the end of the year, you're at a total of 5,000. Right. So we have that one. We also have another one where the totals vary week by week, and a number of different formulas we have on getting to that $5,000 with the one-year challenge. And so this was so popular this past January, and you were the first person I've heard from who actually made it happen. And I want to ask you that again. You said four of the five people you presented this idea to, made it happen? Well, there's six people in our office. I printed out six copies and distributed them to all of us. And four of the six, which I'm one of the four, uh, completed it in full. Yep. 
two-thirds. You realize you work with some amazing people because yeah. with any kind of challenge like one around a, you know New Year's resolution or whatever, the fail rate, whether it's about health or fitness or money or whatever, the fail rate is really, really high. The success rate, extremely low, whichever way you'd want to look at that. And in your office, two out of three people made it work. Yep, that's 20000 total. And for myself, I took it a step further, and each week I invested the dollar amount into acorns. So technically, that went, so with the good year the market's had, that's over 5200 for the year. Jason, that's fantastic. And you're stealing a little bit of my thunder because I'm going to talk about the $5,000 challenge right after the first of the year. But you've given people a sneak a peek. You can find it right now on Clark.com. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Clark Howard Show, where you learn ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main web address, ClarkDeals.com, where you go to save money day after day. So with the new tax bill likely to end up law for next year, I wanted to give you a preemptive bit of information about charitable giving. There is a direct known benefit to giving money to charity here in December because once the new year rolls around, under the new tax law, most people are not going to get any tax benefit for any donation to charity. So that is a significant change from how things work now. So giving money this year would be really smart if you have money you intend to give, would like to give, and you can afford to give. Now maybe the final bill that reaches the president's desk will not be so anti-giving to charity. But I think it is going to end up as one that doesn't reward you for charitable giving, at least in terms of your taxes. And then giving to charity will just be because you care about it, it means something to you, and you want to give, there will not be the and, it will also benefit me on my taxes. But right now, you still do get meaningful benefit, especially if you have had a great year, you're making good income. There's a double benefit I want you to look at doing, and you probably need to get it done in about the next 10 to 15 days in order to get credit for this year. So if you donate to a charity a stock that you have or a mutual fund you have, that with the big run-up in the stock market, the value of an individual stock or a mutual fund or index fund may have gone up quite a bit. And there's a provision, and I want to get too specific because I don't want to get in the weeds of how tax rules work, But if you've owned that for more than a year, you can donate it and you don't pay any tax on the gain that stock or mutual fund or whatever has had. And you get a full charitable deduction on your taxes for what its current value is. Normally, people might sell something, pay tax on the gain, donate it, and then you get the deduction on that, but you've had to pay tax on the gain. But this way... You get the gain tax-free, and you get the full value 
of the tax deduction for donating to a charity. If you have money you'd like to do this with, but you don't want to give a particular charity this money all at once, the big discount operations, Fidelity, Schwab, and Vanguard, all offer what are known as donor-advised funds. I have two of these where I can donate appreciated shares to this fund. I get an immediate tax benefit for all the money this year, and the money that I want to give to charities, I give to the individual charities in the future. I don't get a tax benefit for giving the money away later to a specific charity, but the money has already given me the tax benefit, and then I can hand it out in little pieces over time. And remember, this is with the big three of the discounters offer these uh, what are known as donor-advised funds is what they are called generically, and that's Vanguard, Schwab, and Fidelity all do these. The fund themselves, they run at extremely low costs, so the money you donate into this fund will work for you over the years, and then you can give it to charity. Uh, My goal has been, with the donations I've done over the years, is at the point that I retire, I won't have the money each year to donate to charity. I've already designated it into this donor-advised fund, actually the two of them, and then later in life, when I want to give money away, I'll already have the money in there that I'll be able to give away, kind of like a very low, low cost kind of foundation is what these are. So remember, the key is to get it done in about the next 10 days. Any donation of stock, mutual funds, index funds, anything like that, you want to give away, you want to get it done quick before the tax rules change. Kelly is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Kelly. Hi there. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. You have an unusual real estate question for me, I guess. Uh-huh. What's going on? Um, I'm just wondering what you had thoughts about, um, like, the... I don't really know how to put it. The people come and buy your home. Some company will come buy your home and then turn around and rent it to you until you can get financially ready to buy this home. I was just wondering, have, do you have any thoughts on I that? I do have thoughts on that. So the idea is you want to stay in place, but you're wheezing financially. You can't keep up the payments on your home. So the... The speculative company comes in, buys the home from you, and turns around and leases it back to you. Um, well, I was just thinking, like, if you ha- wanted to buy this house, but you weren't financially ready to buy Oh, so it. it's not even a house you're already in? No. Ah, so is this some form of rent-to-own plan? Yeah, like you can rent it for months or years, but in the end, you have to purchase it from them. But along the way, they charge you, of course, that's how they make their money, rent, and none of your rent goes towards your payment for the house. 
I was just wondering if you had heard of anything like this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the key question is, do you enter into a deal where the price of the home is fixed, or does the price of the home potentially go up every year moving forward by whatever amount they decide? Exactly. And your rent goes up every year. Your rent goes up every year and the price of the home. So realistically, they want you to hurry up, get your stuff together and buy it from them. All right. So let me tell you, in a traditional rent to own situation for a home, what has historically been the way it's done is let's say the fair market value of rent for that home is, let's just say for argument's sake, $1,500. What would normally happen with a rent-to-own is you would pay $1,500 that would go towards rent, and you would pay the people who would be your landlord another couple hundred dollars a month that starts building up money towards the down payment. And if you and normally you'd be given a set time period, usually 18 months to three years to buy the home at an already agreed to price. So what worries me about what you described to me, Kelly, is there's not a fixed price that you're automatically agreed to or a fixed time period for you to fish or cut bait, you know, either buy the house or not. Yeah. So that makes me very uncomfortable versus a more traditional rent-to-own for a home where you know what exactly what you're dealing with, you're paying money every month. Oh, and by the way, what's in it for the landlord with a traditional rent-to-own is you're paying above the fair market rent with money going towards what will be part of the down payment. But if you don't close in the 18 months to three years, the landlord gets to keep that extra money. That's their reward for locking in the price up front. I don't like the idea of you getting any into any kind of rental situation where they're saying, uh, like, like at a dog track where they're chasing a rabbit, you're always chasing that rabbit with the prices changing on you. That's not okay. I would say that's not a way for you to end up being a homeowner. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, John. How are you today? Great. Thank you, John. How can I serve you? Um, I have worked in the past for uh, companies where I contributed regularly to a 401k account. Um, and in the, in the last year, I had sort of a transition to part of a startup company, building a new company. And because of that, I haven't had a taxable income this year. And so I'm looking at my tax situation and thinking, is this a good time for me to make some sort of rollover partial property rollover to, from that 401k that I've built into a Roth? Is this correct? And are there any gotchas that I need wow. to Wow. Okay. Of? There are two things with this. One, you're brilliant because the time to uh, recategorize money from a traditional to a Roth is in a year that you have unusually low income so that even though you're having to pay ordinary income tax you're not having to pay any penalty you're doing so at a much lower effective tax rate so that's very smart now the other hand on this is that the stock market has had a phenomenal run-up and we're due for a correction so you stand the risk 
that you could convert money from traditional to Roth, and then the stock market might take a significant decline, and you would have paid taxes on what was at the time a higher value. So it's a risk and reward both in your question. Do you have the money outside of this fund to pay the tax that would be due? Well, I, I could, yes. Um, the uh, I think the I think I did sort of a dry run on my taxes, and it looked like I would generate for myself if I did a full and complete rollover about a ten thousand uh, dollar bill there. Whereas if I rolled, you know, maybe a third of it out, uh, my my tax bill would be substantially lower, close to zero. And so I, I was wondering if maybe I should just stick with a partial rollover. You know, if you can if you can swing the ten thousand dollars in tax, and then forever forward that money is going to grow tax free and be spent tax free. If you really can't afford it, I'd just go for it. Okay, and the um, contribution limits to a, a Roth don't apply in a case of a rollover. Is that correct? Exactly. Now you're going to have to do a double. You've got to, and I don't know that you have enough time to do it if it's still in an old 401k because the 401k administrators don't move very quickly, you've got to move the money from the 401k into a traditional IRA and then reclassify it and get all that done before the end of the year. Sounds like i got some work to do. Quick work, yeah. But I think it would be worthwhile work to get done. Dave is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Dave. How you doing? Good, Clark. How are you? Great, thank you. You are investing your money with someone that you're concerned maybe you shouldn't. Tell me about that. Well, it's um, uh, an advisory uh, firm that has been in the news quite a bit lately in the last year or two for some mismanagement. And uh, we have our, our uh, Roth IRAs and our regular IRAs with this uh, company, and we're just kind of uh, a little bit nervous. Well, are we talking about, uh, it looks like on the screen we're talking about Wells Fargo? Uh, that's correct. All right. So Wells Fargo has an investment brokerage kind of operation, and it is one that has a very poor reputation, kind of going with the rest of the problems at Wells Fargo. But don't take my word for it. I'd love for you to go read what people say about Wells Fargo. I think the brand name they use is Wells Fargo Advisors. Yeah, that's correct. Go read the reviews from people on ConsumerAffairs.com. Okay. They are the worst reviews I can recall about any company in any industry in as far back as I can think. Well, that's and the not, reviews very, that's are not from, very encouraging. The reviews are from all over the country. California, North Carolina, Georgia, uh, Michigan, uh, let's see, where else? Minnesota, Florida, Arizona, Texas, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Uh, I mean, just everywhere in America that people are having serious problems with Wells Fargo advisors and the anger in the posts that people have put up about them are so intense that I gather that the cultural rot inside Wells Fargo is just so wide and so deep that doing investing with them, I don't ever like for anybody to do investing with a bank 
because that's not what banks are there for. Their investment products tend to have ultra, ultra, ultra high costs. Mm-hmm. And I'd much rather you look at going to one of the low-cost providers with your investment money. But, you know, yeah. Wells Fargo is a special case. As I've referred to them repeatedly, Wells Fargo is a criminal enterprise impersonating a bank. I mean, they are, they are so rotten, so terrible, so dirty, and the fact that nobody ever goes to prison for uh, committing crimes there is something that's very frustrating and exasperating to me. Well, uh, Clark, would you uh, recommend, you know, for something, uh, what we should look into as far as if we do decide to move our money? Well, I've got a number of low-cost companies I like that are on my investment guide at Clark.com. Okay. And any of them will cost you a fraction of what investing your money costs with Wells Fargo advisors. And it's a whole different environment. It's a whole different atmosphere when you're with a low-cost provider than you're with an ultra-high-cost provider like a bank investment arm. Okay, we'll investigate. So, uh, you know, I paint normally with a more general brush, but Wells Fargo is such a special case and such a problem enterprise that in any real industry, a company like that would not be able to continue to exist, but they're coddled by the federal regulators and they have avoided, they've been shielded from criminal prosecutions there. But it's a company that any of us have our money with Wells Fargo at our peril. So I urge you extreme caution staying with them. Joel, I think we have time for a quick Ask Clark here. Yeah, Clark, let's do it. Anita wrote in. She said, is there a benefit for retail stores when they ask for donations for nonprofit groups at the register? So the big thing for them is that often the charitable organization will provide joint publicity to the business. Now, the business will be like people with the business will be standing there with like a big fake check, all smiling, and their PR people will push that out and all that without a lot of acknowledgement that the money is usually coming from the customers of that business, not the business itself. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast of our show, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Whatever your favorite podcast app is, we're pretty much there. And whether you love what you hear from me or hate it, take time to write a review. It's how we all learn from each other is from those reviews. 